the Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Jordan Williams. Welcome in, Buckeye Nation. This is your host, Christopher Rennie, uh, bringing you another episode of the Buck Off Podcast here with Jordan Williams. We are going to get you set for this final full weekend of college football with the CFP Bowls and all of the New Year's Six Bowls on this episode of Buck Off. We're going to preview Utah. We're going to preview Ohio State heading into the game. and We're going to talk about the four teams that are competing for the national title this year. Uh, as always, I'm joined by, joined by Jordan Williams. I combined Jordan and join there. That's kind of funny. How are you doing today, Jordan? Um, I, I'm, I'm good overall. Uh, the, the booster's kicking my ass a little bit, not going to lie. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm good. Holiday season is over because New Year's Eve is not really a holiday. Um, enjoying the last good week of college football, which is very sad, and I try not to think about that. But, you know, um, overall, I can't, I can't complain. How about you? How are you? Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I, I honestly... Every year I get so excited for the holidays, and then after the holidays are over, I'm like, holy crap, that was exhausting. <laughs> and I'm kind of in that, like, the holiday recovery mode. Um, and then my birthday was on Tuesday, so I went out for that the day before recording. So I've been kind of in a recovery mode from that. And then it's going to be another one of those weekends where it starts Friday, and then uh, everyone wants to go out with me Thursday, so uh, we're gonna have a lot of fun. But I'm gonna be a tired guy coming into the new year. Uh, we got Ohio State playing on New Year's Day. We got a lot of good football games happening as we record the next couple days. So, like you said, try not to think about the end is near. But you know, the end's always actually the best time to watch college football because the matchups are always really good. So I'm excited uh, for this closing stretch as we head into it. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, I've seen a lot of people say that this bowl season sucks and stuff like that, and it really doesn't. A lot of the matchups we've gotten are really good. The, the only thing that kind of sucks about it is games being canceled, but it, we're still in a pandemic. So, But as far as like the actual games, the actual matchups, I don't think this bowl season sucks at all. I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of good games. Um, I mean, I maybe maybe I'm just a sicko or whatever, but I watched most of the Minnesota um, West Virginia game. That was a good game. Like, um, it was great to watch Maryland destroy Virginia Tech. Like, I don't know. I think some of the matchups have been interesting. So I'm not on the board with uh, this bowl season not being good. Yeah, and I think one thing a lot of people don't realize about bowl season is like this is where you get like a lot of novelty. You get all these like weird bowls, like the uh, Cheez It Bowl. Thomas Sweeney was wearing an orange jumpsuit. That was kind of weird. You know, uh, I don't know. I think it's the day after we record this, the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Like, a coach is going to literally get Mayo dumped on him. You know, it's you don't get matchups you usually see. We've seen a lot of group of five teams really come and show out. So, as, like, college football fans, it's incredible to see Army beat a Power 5 opponent, uh, let alone an SEC opponent. So, like, it's been a really fun bowl season, and – you know, everyone always talks about, like, there's too many bowls. All these bowls are getting, like, two to three million people watching them every single time, just filling that void during the holidays because no one's working. So what else are we going to watch? Shows aren't on. It's football season still. It's a closure. It's everything you want to see. And the randomness of MAC teams and, like, playing Sunbelt teams and Sunbelt teams playing 
SEC. It's like weird like that. And that's just stuff you don't always get to see. And that's part of the fun is just seeing teams you'd never really get a chance to see coming together and playing a game. Yeah, I don't really understand like that there's too many bowl games because like you just don't have to watch them. Um, like you, you really don't. And some of them you can't even watch if you're still at work because they're in the middle of the day. So like it doesn't really affect you. But like we had to see Northern Illinois versus Coastal Carolina. And I bet you if you asked most people who would have won that, they would have said Coastal Carolina would have blew them out. And I'm pretty sure I don't remember the final score, but I'm, I'm fairly positive NIU won. Like that's just like a matchup that's hard to even predict because, you know, everyone's on the coastal train and all of these good things and no one's thinking of northern illinois but you know what i mean so oh yeah there's a lot of good football that one was the one that they had the ball down at the 10 yard line and were about to win the football game and they ran a play and the guy didn't go out of bounds so coastal carolina held on after they wasted like eight seconds okay coastal did yeah win. by six but it was like one of the oh, best yeah, football yeah, I, games I of the entire year yeah that's right. But, like, I mean, I don't know what the betting numbers and stuff like that, but if you ask a casual fan or especially the people who are complaining about too many bowl, too many bowl games, they probably would have said Coastal would win by, like, 30. And it's just like, no, you get to watch these games, and they're very interesting, and you get to see matchups you don't know what you get to see. Um, and ultimately, at the end of the day, the most important things is always the players. And these, most of them at least, provide – great experiences for the players. I think, I mean, I know it got canceled, but I think the Hawaii football team should be banned from the Hawaii game. Like, I think you should be banned from bowl games within like two hours yeah, or something no, like that. To like, really, to like really get the experience, get to travel, play a game you don't get to see. You get gifts, clothes, gift cards, money, whatever. Like, they don't do it as much anymore, but I'm almost positive there was a year that every player got a PS4 and the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl. It wasn't when it first came out, but, like, you know what I mean? Like, you get to experience all that kind of stuff. It's for the players. Like, like I know a lot of people don't care about this, but as someone that was a part of a program, players love when they get free clothes, and there's typically, unless you're, like, at, like, Ohio State or something, there's typically a limit. But, like, every single program comes out with new, like, sweatsuit, jogging suit, t-shirts, whatever, for the bowl game that has the bowl game logo. Like, that's a little benefit. Like, you get a new pair of shoes. Like, there's so many little things that matter for the players that are cool about bowl season. That's more than just the games being played. Uh, Aside from, again, the games are cool. At least I think so. Yeah, and I think experience is that. I mean, that's something a lot of these um, games – I I mean I haven't traveled to many bowl games. I've only I, I've never even been to a bowl game, but it's just another experience for like fans as well, where they get to travel out of their normal pathway and get to go to the game. Like I know this is a huge conversation among like Ohio State fans for some reason, but a lot of Utah fans are taking trips to Los Angeles this week because it's their first time being in the Rose Bowl. It's an opportunity to go visit California. And it's just a it's a fun experience to go and travel with your team. So overall, like, yeah, you get to go to Birmingham, Alabama. How often would you get to go to Birmingham? How how often would you want to unless your football team was playing there? Yeah, and and not even just, you know, not even just traveling. Think about the people who like like Ohio State fans are, are nationwide. It's very expensive to go from California, Arizona, Utah, Washington, any of those places to come to Columbus to see a bowl game. So while, you know, there's a bunch of people saying that no Ohio State fans are showing up, but the ones who are going to show up are the ones who live in California, Utah, New Mexico, Arizona, you, like I already said, Utah, Washington. And they don't like, get to those see places who can't. 
spend $10,000 to come to Columbus, whereas the fans in Columbus can just spend $100 and go to a game or can go to a lot and tailgate and all that other kind of stuff. So there's a lot of really cool stuff that bowl games provides if you, like, break it down. And at the end of the day, if you don't, don't care, don't watch them. Like, like you just don't like no one's forcing you to turn on the TV at two thirty on a Tuesday and watching a, a bowl game. Like just don't watch it. Yeah, and at the end of the day, there's forty bowl games, forty four or so bowl games, however many the number is. Uh, there's three people driving it: the televisions, uh, the gambling places, uh, sports books, and the fact that people, college football fans, are willing to travel and go to these games. Like if forty games. Like, didn't bring money, didn't bring value. There wouldn't be 40, 40 to 50 games, period. Yeah. And people like me watch as many of them as possible. Yeah, so. and it's the best background noise you can have, honestly. And then then when the season's over, you're going to complain. Yeah, you're going to be like, oh, college football's over. Well, you just had almost 50 games to watch over the last three weeks. So uh, you should have taken yeah. it while you had the chance. Facts. And let's get into this conversation because it's going to segue into our next topic with Ohio State. I need people, especially the older people, to recognize, to just to, to change your opinion on bowl games, right? Bowl games are, are, it's not the final game for your best players. Bowl games is the first game for your young players. Like, that's the lens we need to view it. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I, I've been thinking of one guy in particular. It was Wyatt Davis. It was Wyatt Davis. Wyatt Davis had an amazing bowl game. Was it the 2018 Rose Bowl? How old is Wyatt Davis? Yeah, no, it had to be in the Rose Bowl. I think it was the 2018 Rose Bowl. He started, for whatever reason, it was an injury or an opt-out or something, had an amazing game, and it left fans, coaches, media, whatever, like, this guy is legit. And what did he do? He was a, th- a two-year starter. He left, went pro, and he's ha- and he got us. Unless he lost it, I'm pretty sure, regardless of when he got drafted, he was a starter. And, I, and again, unless he lost that position and got injured, I think he's a starter in the NFL. So it's like, 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 like that's the stuff that matters. Like, yeah, um, Nicholas Petit for Jackson, like, another guy, he started that Rose Bowl. And he ended up losing the job to Brandon Bowen the following year, but ended up having a whole big game of experience. A lot of people were excited about him and comes back and is an elite tackle for ISA for two years. Yeah, like, and if we really wanted to go down the list, which we're not going to, but if we wanted to, we could find a bunch of players who had their first start in bowl games, not even just for Ohio State, across the country. And, like, that's what it's for. Like, think about, like, like Denzel Burke had a whole season, and it was a pretty good season, but now he gets three weeks to a month, however long it was, to sit and watch film to relearn his technique, to get healthy, to do all these kind of stuff. And then he gets one more game to put it out there. Like I've learned in this month of not having games and just game planning. And then you take that positive and you go into spring practice and you go into spring camp and then you go into summer camp, you go into fall camp. And now you're a totally different player. Um, you know what I mean? Like Tyleek Williams, these bowl practices matter. Like um, Ja'Kalen Johnson and Jordan Hancock, who didn't really get to play. These are extra practices where the games aren't the most, aren't the focus. So where they're actually getting reps, like 
the bowl games are for your young players. Like, they are. Like, they're not for the old guys. And to be honest, like, I, I want Chris Olave to play selfishly solely because I want him to finally have a 1,000-yard season. Like, he's never – as good as he is, he's never had a 1,000-yard season at Ohio State, and he could get that in the first quarter. Like, just give him three passes, and he's got it. Um, give him one of his legendary post routes, and he's got the 1,000-yard. But I don't – need to see Alave in the Rose Bowl. I would rather honestly see Marvin Harrison Jr. in a Mecca Ekbuka. Now, if it was the playoffs, it's different, but like I mean, like Marvin Harrison is one of my favorite football players of all time. I'm a Colts fan. That's that's known. I was so geeked when his son came here, and then all I heard is he's a freaking stud. Like, I want to see him. him. Like, like, what is he going to do? You know, so it's like bowl games would be more exciting if we just flip, flip the mindset. It is no longer the last game for seniors and draft eligible guys. It is the first game for your young talent. Yeah, I like that lens a lot. I think when you really break it down, even guys who aren't necessarily young, but are for sure coming back next year, it's a chance to make like a final statement, a final push like, hey, we've improved. We've gotten better over these last three weeks. Like we're ready to take this momentum into next year. Like think a guy like Steel Chambers who switched positions. He gets an extra three weeks to practice that position. He gets an extra three weeks. Like the first two weeks are refocusing on techniques and re like kind of learning some stuff and focusing on film and making those improvements. Then the last week or so is just game prep like you usually do. And you kind of lose like you, you understand because you're part of a football program. Once you get into the season, the focus on fundamentals and technique aren't as prevalent because you have to put so much effort into preparing for an opponent. So you get those two extra weeks to kind of go recalibrate those fundamentals, recalibrate that focus in that regard. And then you get a game prep again and put it all together in a final showing. And I think that's exciting. And, you know, we focus on the offensive side of the ball, Haskell Garrett's out. So we're going to get to see some young defensive tackles. Um, you know, uh, the corners, uh, we, we haven't seen seven banks. We don't know where he's at. So outside of Cam Brown, we're probably going to get to see some young guys get some exposure in this game. Uh, I don't know what's happening at safety. I don't really want to talk about it still. But at the end of the day, this is going to be a huge opportunity for the remaining guys to put a nail in the coffin of this season to start getting momentum for next year. And I'm excited. To, I'm also excited to see C.J. Stroud kind of as the anchor of this offense now. You know, you lose Garrett Wilson, you lose Chris Olave for this game. He's going to have his security blanket in Jackson Smith and Jigba. But it's his time. It's his time to shine now, and that's exciting too. Yeah, and just to go back to the Steel Chambers point for one second, he said that himself in one of his interviews. He said, I'm excited for these practices because I get to work on, like I change position and that's hard. And throughout the season, I lost some of my intangibles and some of my technique and I get to refocus on those. Like he was like, I was just playing. And that's, I just think that if anyone thinks we don't know what we're talking about for whatever reason, Steel Chambers said the exact same thing and how he's excited for the bowl practices and then the offseason to really get into his position change and really learn the, the fundamentals and that kind of stuff so he can play better throughout the, the, the whole season because the mark of a good player is to not lose your fundamentals and that kind of stuff. But it takes time, and that's why it takes multiple years for most players to um really shine and shine consistently consistently and stuff like that. And this didn't happen for Ohio State, but just one more thing that kind of happened with uh, bowl games and stuff. 
I can't think of his name right now. Oh, George Pickens, that's his name. George's wide receiver has been out almost the entire year. I think maybe he played one game or maybe he played the SEC championship or game or something like that. But now he gets this whole offseason, these whole three weeks or whatever, and now he gets to play in um, the playoffs. And I don't know if Ohio State would have done it. He's not at that point in his recovery. But think of like a Jordan Fuller or something like that. Uh, that's not his name. Why did I just lose his name? Thank you. <laughs> Jordan Fuller. I miss Jordan Fuller. That's why I said his name. Think of Josh Proctor. Like, if he was healthy, he's not. So I'm just giving a hypothetical. If he was healthy enough, he could play and at least get one game in this season. And to get to test his his injury, like, that happens for players all the time where you get to come back and you get to get some snaps in, um, which it may not seem important to you, but when you've gone – 30 weeks or however long the season is and you haven't touched the field, those five to 10 snaps can make the season worth it. Like there are, I mean, we could continue forever and we don't have to, but there are so many things that are good and and helpful and important about bowl games that I think the people who complain aren't paying attention to. Yeah, for sure. And that's where I'm at with this. I'm extremely excited for the Rose Bowl, Uh, you know, kind of just letting the, build up happen naturally like now we're kind of approaching the game we're three days out it's like a regular game week that's why it's exciting doing the show on a wednesday because we're kind of in that final process before we start getting really excited so we still come in with a little bit of a level head but at the end of the day like the game's almost here uh we're doing our last kind of preview episode so i'm just excited it's going to be a good time uh to get into this a little bit more let's start getting into like what Ohio State's heading into the Rose Bowl. I want to start with the opt-outs, honestly. I'm so tired of people saying opt-outs are, like, a bad thing. Like, I, you know, you, you, you've seen it on Twitter. We've all seen it on Twitter. Uh, opt-outs aren't soft. Opt-outs aren't people that do that. I saw Chimdi Chekwa going into his experience. I saw Jake Butt from Michigan going into his experience. Both guys who got injuries in their bowl games. And... How often do football players get hurt? Uh, All the time. Uh, Every game has some sort of injury in it. Every game has some sort of stoppage. And some are serious, some aren't serious. But people keep using this argument. Well, you've already played 30 games in your career. What's one more? Well, what is one more when you break your wrist? What is one more when you have a knee, when your knee explodes like Jake Butt? You know, like this is the conversation where – None of us are going to be in that position where you have millions of dollars coming in four months because of your athletic ability, because of your physical health. So when it comes to opting out, it isn't a decision based on the 32 games they've already played. It's a decision based on, hey, let's just not take that risk. Even if it's a one in a million chance, I tear my UCL in this game. That one in a million chance isn't worth the generational wealth I'm about to receive. So, Uh, The fans who are questioning opt-outs, who are saying opt-outs are ruining college football. No, opt-outs are a step in the right direction of the evolution of the sport with player freedom. And it's important that players have this ability to be able to take their financial future seriously and not risk it. Because guess what? If Chris Olave walked out there and tore his knee up, it would be heartbreaking for a lot of reasons. Because his draft stock would fall and he'd probably go from a first round pick to a second or third round pick just because you never know. And this is an interesting thing I was reading about. I don't know how many people know about this, but everyone knows the average NFL career is 3.9 years. Guess where the NFL 
PA and the NFL put their number for uh, what's it called when like the union, when they give their benefits long-term, the stipend that players get, it's set at four years. So you need four years actively in the NFL playing your service years is what they call them. If a player gets injured outside of the NFL, that first rookie year doesn't count towards your service years. Even if you're with the team, even if you're practicing with the team, you don't get the same insurance benefits. You don't get your full salary. If you're injured outside of the NFL. So, you take those risks into consideration, it is not worth playing in a game that can't lead to a national championship. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think you summed it up perfectly. I really don't have anything else to say. I just think that, like, the only thing I'll add is opt-outs do not mean unloyalty. (laughs) Like, we need to get away from this loyalty thing. And it's not as bad in college football as it is in pro sports. I can go on an hour rant about how no one is loyal to players, but stupid fans want, like, players to be loyal to them, especially in pro sports where it's clearly a business and largely about money. Um, But it's not – like, Chris Olave is not unloyal to Ohio State. He gave three years to Ohio State. He gave four years to it. Four years, four years. Garrett Wilson's not unloyal. He gave three years. Um, uh, um, NPF is not unloyal. He gave four or five years because he was a super high recruit and they wouldn't play him until he lost weight, until he gained weight, and he could have transferred. Like, none of these players are unloyal. There are just other things that matter. They, they, They played, like you said, everything that they could do, and at the end of the day, this matters. Like, like literally, and here's the thing, because the NFL changed the rule, if you don't know this. Now, pick slots are designated because there used to be a bunch of, like, opt-outs and really weird contracts and stuff like that, especially with quarterbacks. Pick slots are now, they're designated. The number one pick makes X number of millions of dollars. You can give them this contract. The number 23rd pick makes X number of dollars. You can give them this contract. You can rework some things. You can do bonus here, this, that, and the third. But the money, and you can Google it. If you think online, Google it. And it literally, they will have right now, I bet, the dollar number associated each 2022 draft pick because the cap is out. And if they don't have it now, it'll be soon. Look at the number three pick. Just arbitrary numbers. Look at the number three pick. And look at the number 31st pick, which is still in the first round. We're not even going to go second round. Chris Olave has a chance to be a top five, top 10 pick. Look at that and then look at number 32. Look at that and then look at number 45 or 60 or whatever's in the third or fourth round. They are literally losing millions of dollars. Another thing that they lose that matters is outside the first round, you don't get that fifth year option, which is another year of money. Like there are a lot of things that happen if you slide. If you like Justin Fields, because people are stupid, lost so much money from being the number two pick to the number 16 or whatever he was. And sure, you can say it doesn't matter the rates, this, that, and the third. If if that is your opinion, that's fine. But for them and their family and their commitment and what they've done, all of that matters. So no, getting injured in an exhibition game because some fan sitting on his couch drinking a Jack and Coke thinks you're unloyal doesn't matter. I was just about to say, like, I saw someone tweet – do it for the brotherhood. It is time. And then like the players, like seniors who are draft eligible. And it's like that it showed them leaving. Like the, I think it was the Homer Simpson going into the bush actually. And I was like, you're, what have you done for the brotherhood? Like you, you sit on your couch, you drink natty lights during the game. What have you done for the brotherhood? 
Yeah, first of all, um, brothers have your best interest in mind. So a brother's going to tell you not to play. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, like if Chris Alave called me and was like, hey, man, like you are the deciding factor. Should I or should I not play? I'm going to tell him no. Yeah, I'm like, not. I'm telling him don't play. And I saw, I think it was Jake Ballard was tweeting today. Um, and someone asked him, like, how it would feel being on the sideline with Chris Olave? They're not playing. And everyone would be like, they'd understand. They'd get it and they'd be excited that he's there supporting them. And that's huge. Like, they, like players, like it's different because from a fan perspective, it's hard to take off those lenses. But everyone in the Ohio State football program has the same goals. They have the same reasons to be there. And you know, some guys maybe on the lower part of the fringe just want the opportunity to play. But the top end upper echelon guys at Ohio State want to go to the NFL, and they know how much work goes in every single day. They know how much work Chris Olave's put in since he's gotten there. They know how much work Garrett Wilson's put on there. And they know what they've done for them personally, elevating their spotlight by having them there. They respect everything they've done, and they want their brother to succeed. And they're happy that they're there supporting because that's what brotherhood's all about, everyone succeeding. And, you know... The Brotherhood is not us fans. We're not part of the Brotherhood. I just want any fan out no. there who thinks they're part of the Brotherhood, you're not part of the Brotherhood. I just you're not. You're not. And that is the case that I think a lot of people are missing. Like they don't represent you. They represent the 85 guys in the locker room that represent Ohio State football. It's different. And that yeah. is a point I think a lot of people miss. They do. Like the fan- fandom gets a little too far. Like it, it like it does. Um and I just want to say, like, we're talking about the brotherhood. Just look at the differences of things, right? This is not a negative thing, although maybe it is because he's a he's a um he's a he's a trumper. But like Nick Bosa set out an entire season and then didn't stay in the program. He went to California to train. Like 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 you know what I mean? Like that is that is different. Like if you want to talk trash about that, which even I didn't talk trash yeah, about I, that because you're. Angry. I still think you can be but mad like, about that. But it, but it's like that is different than one player not playing in a singular game. Like like all and and, and to the Nick Bosa point, before anyone says that I'm talking negatively about him, because the only negative thing is that he's a trumper. Look what happened. He got healthy. He became a top three pick, and now he is one of the three or four best pass rushers in the league. He has like 16 sacks right now. Um, and this is coming off of a torn Achilles or ACL season last year. And the difference between his injury in college and his injury last year is last year he still collected a paycheck. So it's like that is an example of one. A difference, uh, like a player, quote unquote, not being a part of the brotherhood because they sat out an entire season, but also a player doing what's best for them and reaping the benefits of it. Because if he would have played, he got injured in, in the early fall camp or whatever. If he would have gotten that same injury in game 12 and he wasn't going to be ready for the NFL season, he may not have been a first-round pick, at least not a top-three pick. And again, sliding scale, he would have made a lot less money. So, and Just dropping day, from 3 to 12 is significant. Yeah. Like, at the end of the day, these players have to do what's best for them. Um, and they give you three, four, five years. Like, at this point, you're just being selfish. Just, like, shut yeah. up. Let's stop. <laughs> like... Yeah, so opt-outs aren't ruining college football. Like, I'm sorry the Peach Bowl is not going to be as entertaining because Kenny Pickett and Kenneth Walker are out. But guess what? Kenneth Pickett – or what did I just say? 
What is it? Kenny? You said Kenneth Pickett. Is it Kenny Pickett? It's Kenny. It, it's yeah. It's Kenny Pickett and Kenneth Walker. They they have the same name. They just yeah. One yeah. goes by Kenneth. One goes by Kenny. I got really confused there because I'm like, is his name actually <laughs> Kenny Pickett? And I'm like, is his name actually yeah. Kenneth? And they are. It most likely but, is. But yeah, yeah. that's a trade for a trade. You've got their best player out, and you got Michigan State's best player out. That's still an even football game. Yeah, and Michigan State's backup is going to be the other uh, players on Michigan State's going to be excited. And I don't know about you, but uh, Mel Tucker needs to prove he he earned that ninety five mil because yeah, um, it's a big game. Because uh, now you're without your best player. Let's see how you can actually coach. Yeah, because Kenneth Walker may not make ninety five million his entire career, but he is almost what I would say 50, 60 percent of the reason Mel Tucker got that contract. Yeah, like and uh, you yeah. might not see that in his career, <laughs> honestly. Because if Kenneth Walker doesn't so, score five touchdowns against Michigan, I don't think they're walking through that door with a $95 million contract. No, he may have got an eight contract, but it wouldn't have been 95. So, yeah, and that's kind of the thing. Like, they've done everything for their coaches, for their play, for uh, for their teammates. Like, it's their time. Like, they can take that risk it, or the lack of risk and just opt out. That's it's They've earned that right. The three years of Garrett Wilson earned the right for him to sit out this game. And he has nothing else to prove. Yeah, no. So it's literally just not getting injured. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we're going to move past the opt outs because I think me and Jordan could go in on people for the next hour if we really wanted to. But the press days are here and we actually got got into a very uh, heated conversation. We were all on the same side. We were just all so mad at this quote <laughs> in Kevin Wilson's press conference today. And I kind of wanted to take that and just kind of lead this whole conversation with that because this year there was a lot of players who moved around and moved positions. And, you know, a lot of people from the outside who don't like comprehend like the difference between a tackle, a guard, a center, a right guard and a right tackle. Um, it's, it's one of those things where, you didn't notice the difference until Ohio State played Oregon, until Ohio State played Michigan, until Ohio State played elite defense alignment. And then you realize, hey, maybe there are different skill sets between a tackle, a guard, a center, a guard, and a tackle. So Kevin Wilson today actually confirmed something me and Jordan have been saying for the last 11 weeks and something we've wished for. Uh, going into it, he said – I'm trying to find the quote here um, – where did you see it? There it is. In the uh, not that one. One more. Oh man, this is botched. All right, this is gonna get edited out, but we're gonna fix it. In. All right. So Kevin Wilson says Donovan Jackson and Matt Jones are equally as good in some ways, maybe better body types of guard when compared to Thayer Munford and Paris Johnson. Yeah. Does that not make you mad that the coach right. in bowl preparation is realizing that? Hey. Maybe we should have played guards at guards this year. Thrown out feelings. You know, Dewan Jones. Jawan Jones is a great tackle. Nicholas Petit Friere is a great tackle. Thayer Munford was a really, really good tackle. There is a reason that they went with Dewan Jones and Nicholas Petit Friere at tackles. And we saw it in their PFF grades and in their ability in big games and against elite defensive linemen. What we saw from the interior on the offensive line was constant pressure, constant penetration, a lot of out leveraging happening. And there's a reason a lot of guards are 6'3, 320 pounds and not 6'6, 320 pounds, because there is a difference in the way those players are built. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. It's not complicated. And I know that. They should know that. And it's just like, like I thought you were going to read the other quote, which is basically, uh, do you have it? I got it. Yeah, I can pull it up too. Uh, then, yeah, uh, this is this is what makes it even worse. All right, guys. Kevin Wilson on the Buckeyes starting four natural tackles on the line. In the world of the transfer portal and all that, everyone's making a big deal about the tackles playing. Well, first off, you're trying to keep the guys engaged in playing and happy. So not only are you playing guys out of position, you're playing them out of position because you're scared of the transfer portal. You're scared of what exactly? Like Matt, Matt Jones could have left, and then we're stuck of. next year without a guard. Like what? No, are we that's thinking? not what they're scared of. Yeah, they're scared of hurting Thayer Munford's feeling. He won the Block O. He's a leader. You vote the Block O award on his personality and his leadership. If Nicholas Retiever was a better left tackle than him, if he's such a great leader and such a good person, this isn't coming at Nate Thayer Munford. This is more coming at the coaches for it. He'd understand that, hey, this gives the team the best chance to win. Yeah, but the reason why they did it is it's simple. They have zero tackle death, death at all. And so they couldn't, in their opinion, afford to let Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones transfer by not playing them this year. Because if they did transfer, there's no one. Dewan Jones has said, and we talked about this on the last episode, I think, Dewan Jones has said that he's 50-50 on going into the draft. And if he goes into the draft this year, they are screwed. There's literally no, unless, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but everyone in the tackle room is like a, a 500 ranked recruit or less who had to gain weight, lose weight, do this, do that, whatever. And unless one of them is ready and we just don't know it, they are literally screwed. There are no other high four stars. There are no other high. There are no other five stars. There's no one of note in that tackle room. And again, no disrespect. Dewan Jones was not of note. He just developed. So again, if Dewan Jones wouldn't have developed, which he did, they would have only had three tackles, two of them seniors, and the only one would only other one would have been there is Paris Johnson Jr. So they're afraid of the transfer portal because they let Stud stay, who can't recruit tackles to save his life, and there are no tackles on this team. Yeah, it's honestly. And maybe, and, and, and maybe uh, Vimahi steps up. Maybe Zen. Uh, I can't think of his name, last name. Uh, Bukowski steps up. Um, there's a few names. Uh, Josh Fryer is a name. He plays all five positions as well. So like, yeah, but he's more of an inside guy. Like maybe one of those guys yeah, step up. It's but similar to there's no one. They, they've got a bunch of Brandon Bowens, but the reality of it is that's it. That's because of them. It's their fault. It's the coaching staff's fault. They didn't recruit better. It's the coaching staff's fault. They didn't manage the development better. So you're playing four tackles because of all of self-inflicted problems. When in reality, the team would have been better. If you played two true guards, everyone keeps raving about Donovan Jackson. He's the same age as Paris Johnson jr. And you really couldn't have started a guard at guard. Isn't he a year younger? Yeah, but I think they're both technically freshmen, right? Uh, Paris Johnson Jr., this is his second year of eligibility. Yeah. Donovan Jackson, this is his first. And Donovan Jackson didn't come until June. Yeah, and I'm still, at the end of the day, he's still a guard. And he's still, yeah, and he still could have won the job because of how good he was. So that's where it gets confusing because 
Would this team have been significantly better with Matt Jones at left guard, with Luke Whipple yes. at center, and then Donovan Jackson at right guard? Yes, I think so. I do. And Kevin Wilson all but confirmed that in what he said. Yeah, so it's just like – and it's like I get it. I get it, but I don't like it. I get that you felt you had to do that, but you you had to do that because you they let Stud stay, who doesn't recruit. And so it's just like there's no one – like there is no one in the tackle room. And honestly, I can't like I think he should stay because I think he needs another year of development. But Dewan Jones is like a third or fourth year guy. He's been there forever. I'm not mad at him, even if he's a third or fourth round pick saying, hmm, that whatever million dollar contract I get as a third or fourth round pick is more than staying another year at Ohio State. And if I like I can work my way into a starter and start my clock and get all this money versus playing another year and listening to these coaches and worried about getting injured and that kind of stuff. Like, but, and also to the point where I do think he would get better. There's the cautionary tale of Sean Wade, which is what if DeJuan Jones just has a terrible year next year? Like, and someone is in his, someone is in his ear telling him that what if you have a bad year and you don't even get drafted? So, it is not a foregone conclusion that he's staying next year. And so it's literally just like, there's nobody. There's no one. There's no tackle depth. There's nothing. And so they were so afraid of the transfer portal that they had to play four, the only four tackles on the roster, really, in hopes that two of them would stay next year and then and, and convert to traditional tackles. And it's likely Ohio State's going to lose all three of them. So. That's kind of the bind you put yourself in with roster management issues. But I do think Ohio State next year is going to be fine with Paris Johnson Jr. and then the four linemen they put out there. Because I think, you know, you take a guy like Enoch Vimahi at right tackle, that's a lot easier to find a right tackle than it is to find an elite left tackle. This is true, but uh, I mean, I don't know who the next Aiden Hutchinson or George Karloftis is, but if they come in and and destroy Nick Vamahi, it'll be be talking a different tune by then. So uh, (laughs) at the end of the day, it just starts at recruiting, and that's why you got to fire stud. What did I say there? I thought we were going into that. No, I'm just kidding. We were. I mean, we we, we weren't, but when you talk about the offensive line and you talk about the decision-making and all of that kind of stuff, it just spirals its way back to fire stud. Yeah, it's really all it takes. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that was kind of like the one conversation for the presser takeaways that was like really that stood out to me, especially on the offense today. You know, you've got CJ Stroud. I honestly thought that was a fun one where he's like, uh, why do so many people kind of leave California when you've got UCLA and USC right there? And he went into detail on that. And he said, uh, USC and UCLA, you go to games, are kind of boring. Uh, you kind of leave out. And I went and I looked because uh, official visits and unofficial visits are way different. CJ Stroud took quite a few unofficial visits to USC and UCLA. But his three major visits were to Georgia. His officials were Georgia, Michigan, and Ohio State. Uh, three historical powers with a ton of tradition laced through their program. Uh, I saw pick six previews, uh, Brett Siancia. He said 
it's crazy because a lot of people don't realize this, but college football players want to be in places where college football is a passion. And I just thought that was an interesting conversation, mostly because a lot of people wonder why USC and UCLA don't recruit California kids as well as they should. And it's because people in Los Angeles don't always care about college football. Straight up. That's it, period. And I thought that was interesting to get that confirmation from our quarterback. Yeah, and a lot of people have said that just about uh, California in general. Like, one of the best things that Pete Carroll did was make football cool. Um, and and they, they said that a part of it is because the Lakers sucked. So yeah. it was like they didn't have anything else to turn to. And, well, the Lakers suck again now. But, you know. Um, so does the USC so and UCLA. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe maybe Lane can make college football cool again because the Lakers suck. Yeah. But like when the Lakers are are good and um, the other teams like the Dodgers are good and stuff like that, people don't really care about college football. It's not as passionate. It's not as integral to the to the uh, foundation. Yeah. Los Angeles is these kids want to go and play in front of these hundred thousand crowds and all this other kind of stuff. Yeah. Los Angeles is a pro sports town. I think it's hard to argue it, honestly. Uh, the times USC are good are when, like you said, the other Los Angeles teams aren't great. And it's because it's fun. You know, you get Reggie Bush, you get Matt Leiner in the building. It makes that the place to be. And L.A. is a superficial town. It is. And I don't think Los Angeles Angelinos can deny it. Uh, it does not matter which team is bad it matters which team's the best so the rams they just came back guess what a lot of rams fans just popped up you know guess who else just popped up the last few years a lot of dodgers fans are making their appearances again uh so it's cyclical but it's just one of those things the only people usc has more fans than is the chargers and that's because the chargers (laughs) just don't have a true home yeah and they should have never went to los angeles Ever. They were better off in San Diego. They should have beat the Raiders to get to Las Vegas. They still should leave and go and literally anywhere else. Like you could give Columbus a team and they'd be better supported than they are as the second team in Los Angeles. Um, like I don't know where to go, but like somewhere. Portland seems to like their their basketball team. They don't got nothing out there. Uh, who else? Send them to Mexico. Um, they were trying to put them in England. I think putting a team full time in England is stupid, but like that's a better option than LA. I mean, they would go crazy if they put them in England. Um, literally, just about anywhere else. Like, get put them in Alabama. Like Alabama is rabid about college football. They would accept a, a football uh, a football team, but being the second team in LA, no. So that's the only franchise in LA uh, that. The, the USC and especially USC, UCLA has more fans than because um, more people probably like the Clippers, even if they're not actually in LA. Um, the people, I mean, more people probably like the Clippers and they do care about USC and UCLA. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I think that was like the second one that really stood out to me. And then obviously all the players are super excited to be there. And I think that goes to our conversation about bowl games do matter. Like this Rose Bowl does matter yeah. to the kids. And that's all that's all that actually matters. Right. That's like, in our opinion, we don't point. care. 
even though we're pro it, our opinions don't care. Your opinions don't care. Even sometimes the coaches' opinions don't care because maybe the coaches are upset. I doubt it, but maybe. But, like, it's all about the players at the end of the day, and they're excited. Um, and that's what matters. And I'm, I'm glad that they're excited. But I didn't. I really didn't think there'd be any way they wouldn't be excited. It's still football. Like, Yeah, you're in Los Angeles. You're playing in one of the, the granddaddy of them all, even though a lot of people are saying, hey, it doesn't feel like it anymore. It's still going to be that 5 p.m. start. It's still going to have that insane sunset over the mountains it's still going to be in the most possibly elegant location for a football game when it comes to television and it's all still going to be a great show and it doesn't lose its luster on january 1st because the college football playoff games are the day before so there's still going to be that need for college football to fill the saturday void Yep, 100%. And it's the last Ohio State um, game of the year, so you better appreciate it. Because I cannot wait till April when all you slumps are like, hey, I why is Ohio so I can't Ohio State football just be here? And you're all mad that the Rose Bowl lost its luster. Yeah, I mean, you, I couldn't say it any better. Uh, you'll, you'll miss it. You'll miss it. <laughs> you'll miss it. I already miss it. It's not even over yet. Yeah, I missed it after the game, and we still had a game left. So uh, it's exciting. But let's move to the defensive side of the ball real quick before we head into our Utah preview and our break. Um, Kate Stover moving to defense for this week. Uh, interesting. Uh, how do you feel about that, honestly? Um, honestly, I don't care. I think, like um, – I can't. Okay, this is a terrible, like a terrible comparison, but I just can't think of a, a better name. Kate Stover is like Tate Martell, and in the instance of it's a name that everyone knows and people talk about, but like it doesn't really matter. Um, and I know it's a terrible one because Tate left and all that other kind of stuff. I just don't think that, and I'm not trying to be mean. I just don't think that Kate Stover make like is a makes a big enough impact anywhere and that's not a him thing that like that is no issue with him at all it's kind of as we talked about before we started recording it's really a recruiting philosophy thing of ohio state spent a bunch of years recruiting tweeners who didn't have a true position and then didn't have coaches good enough to find them into a position and train them in that position and so, honestly, if anything, I'm more sad than anything else because Cade was a pretty decent recruit coming out, if I remember. And he's given, at this point, like three years to the program, and they still haven't found a legit position for him. Uh, one thing that I think was interesting, I don't know if you saw this. I watched the video. Uh, it's funny. Kevin Wilson was talking like Loki, like he wouldn't be back. And he is going to be back. But it was just like he was telling all the secrets. Basically, he was like, I talked to Kate and I just told him, like, listen, coach will say you have to do what's best for the team. But I want you to do what's best for you. And if what's best for you is going to play linebacker, then do that. But if, best, if what's best for you is staying at tight end, then stay. And he said, selfishly, I want him to stay. But he has to do his best for him. And I think that was him saying that the team wanted him to move the linebacker and he doesn't necessarily agree with that decision. I think that was interesting to kind of get that little moment of truth from Kevin Wilson. And if you haven't seen that video, you should, but it just doesn't really move the needle for me. It's just more, like I said, it's more sad to me than anything else. Cause he, he's either a good player who has 
whose career has kind of been ruined by teams not like coaches and stuff, or he's not an Ohio State caliber player who would be a star at like freaking Cincinnati or Kent State or something. And I mean, being a backup at Ohio State is probably better than being a starter at Kent State, if I'm being honest. But yeah, it's just more sad to me than anything else. Yeah, I think uh, it's interesting because he's he's played a lot at tight end. He got spot reps at defensive end, and now he's going to be a starting Sam linebacker with a month of repetition. So it's crazy to me because that means he's a super talented athlete, a super talented football player, but we, we've seen a lot of super talented football players over the years just not find their footing in a place. But outside of Cade, because I think you nailed the Cade conversation on the head, and it just, it just you know, Ohio State's breaking out a 4-3 to match a lot of this 13 personnel, a lot of this 12 personnel that Utah likes to use. And they waltzed out four two fives against two of the most physical run-oriented teams they've played this season in Michigan and against Oregon. And, you know, Nebraska ran a lot of 12 and a lot of mixed personnel with bigger bodies, and they didn't break out three linebackers. Ohio State has consistently ran out the same personnel grouping regardless of who they were playing against and just said, hey, I think we're good enough to beat you. It took them until bowl prep to say, you know, maybe against a team that uses bigger bodies, we should use a third true linebacker. And I know, you know, that room got a little thin after Pope left and after Dallas Gant left and after some of these other older names left. But if we're being truthful, the coaching staff really failed the defense this year. Um, I remember, you know, with Halfley and, you know, this past year when we had four really elite linebackers in the past season with Hilliard, with Borland. And I know everyone's going to come at me for saying Borland wasn't elite, but we saw non-elite linebackers this year. And I think it's safe to say Borland was actually not the worst linebacker we've ever had. Uh, You know, it was really frustrating to see that Ohio State's willing to run a 4-3 in the final game against a team that we've played twice already on the schedule. Yeah. And that's a, um, <laughs> that just goes to just deeper things. Cause Ohio state rolled out four linebackers against Alabama. They clearly don't know what to do with personnel groupings. Like that's just, it's just a, a given. They I, just have no idea yeah. what they're doing and who to put out on the field. And I'm, I've been on the, it doesn't matter your alignment if you have the right players. Um, and I think that they could have stopped Michigan with the four two five if they were tough. So I'm not going to go as far as that. I, I really don't think that matters that much. Um, if you have the right players and I can understand like Ronnie Hickman's a better tackle than fourth string linebacker Kate Stover. Like, I don't think that was the end all be all, but I think it goes more to the point of development. It, it's if you choose to run a four, two, five, that's fine. If you have to run a four, two, five, because you have no one on your roster to be able to run a four, three, that is not fine. And I think that's the distinction that matters. If they felt that that was the best defense for them, and they had the right players, and they could stop it. I'm not against that because I know you can stop anything with the four-two-five. That's why it's my favorite defense. But if you don't think that, and you can't do that because you don't have the players, you don't have the linebackers, you don't have anyone trained, you don't have another safety or whatever, 
that's the bigger issue for me. And that is what kind of goes into the Kate Stover conversation of they just don't have the guys and they're in the wrong positions and they don't have the coaches to train them and they don't know what they're doing. Like, I can't wait. I need to, if I remember this, I need to take a screenshot of this year's roster because I want to see how many players switch positions under Jim Knowles. I bet you it's more than three or four. I bet you there's some safeties who are linebackers and some corners who are safeties and some safeties who are corners under Jim Knowles. If he's as smart as we think he is, because there are so many people on this roster who are in the wrong position and it makes zero sense. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, it just shows how much the Kerry Combs era of defensive coordinating was an adjunct failure. Like there was literally not a single thing that went right in his entire tenure as a defensive coordinator. Yeah, (laughs) honestly, and that's worse. But at the end of the day, obviously he was underqualified to be the defensive coordinator at our state. And we see it in development. We see it with alignment. We see it with how they approach different teams. And like you said, like you could stop anybody with a four, two, five, if it's coached, right? Like we saw with Jim Knowles at Oklahoma state, but if you're going to coach things certain ways and you're going to want to combat someone, at least change the looks up, change the box up, change the personnel up, make the opposing team think a little bit. And that's like really the point that I think this whole defense missed. You knew exactly what you were getting when Ohio State's defense lined up across from you the last two years. And you knew exactly how to attack it. And the teams with the personnel who were able to did a great job. Yep. And the ones who didn't have the personnel got both boat raced just because they didn't have the personnel. And that's, and so. that's where the difference in great teams and really, really good teams is, is that level of like, that's it. That's it. That level of detail. Yeah. And I don't want to get into this because I'm happy about the, I'm, you know, I like I'm sad the season's over, but with everything that went on with Ohio State, I'm ready to get the season over. But this is one of the few years there was no great team in college football in Ohio yeah. State sitting there. It was a huge opportunity. So. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about that next week when we're all getting ready for the offseason blues. But we're going to take a quick break. We ran a little long in the first half. Uh, we will be back here shortly for you guys. And thank you for sticking with us this far. Welcome back in, everybody. This is your host, Christopher Rennie. It's been a exciting show so far. I think we've gotten into a lot of fun conversation topics for you guys. Uh, but it's time to start getting into our Rose Bowl opponent at the final stretch of this show. Uh, we got a few more things to talk about. We're going to give our college football playoff predictions at the end for the four teams in it. We're probably going to go through those quick because I really do not care about any of the four teams in it. And it kind of makes me angry thinking about it. And uh, that's why we're going to probably keep that one pretty quick. But we're going to get into Utah and our Rose Bowl preview here. So Utah as a team went 10-3. and three, And after a rocky start at the beginning of the year where they went 1-2 and two and lost their rival BYU, they went on an 8-9 and nine stretch where they won 8 out of 9 games. They are a physical defensive team. They are a physical offensive team. They are just a physical football team, and that's Kyle Whittingham's identity, and that's the identity he's built over the last 15 years. Uh, Jordan, what are your initial thoughts and feelings about Utah as a football team? Um, 
I my initial thoughts and feelings are they're a good, well coached team that should get run off the field by ninety seven percent of Ohio State teams, and this is the team that will lose to them. Like not I'm predicting them to lose, but like of any of the Ohio State teams, this is the one that would lose to them. Like in most years, I wouldn't give Utah much of a chance. I think they would make the game tough, but I think eventually they wouldn't be able to hold on. Um I'm I'm not so sure about that this year. I think that they um I mean it's just it's a lot of cliches or whatever, but it's all true. They're they're disciplined, they're well coached, they have the thing that separates, you know, quote unquote lesser teams, which is one or two star players. Um that who and their main one is Devin Lloyd, the linebacker. Like yeah, I mean NFL it's half this sure. game. Yeah, I'm going to spend half of this game just reminiscing of, like, what it was like to have a real linebacker, um, a real dominant linebacker. Like, they um, have a have a pretty solid running back. Like, they have some pieces. And um, it's just one of those things where it's just like, in most years, it wouldn't matter. It's like, it's Ohio State, and they'll get buzzsawed. But this is the year that it would because they have the one thing that is Ohio State's kryptonite, and that is toughness. Um yeah, honestly, uh, I think Utah's coaching staff has done a great job over the last 15 years, not only kind of with growing in the Pac-12 and growing into a Power 5 program, but like building an identity and a philosophy that works with their region um, in Utah. Uh, t- cherry-picking the West Coast, cherry-picking Texas and those places, even coming into Ohio for some people – and just finding recruits that are diamonds in the rough. And there was actually – so, I mean, this is going to be a dirty secret I'm going to reveal on the show because it's important. I, I lived in Utah for eight years. So I was there when Urban Meyer was there. They're my second favorite football team. Uh, so I, I know an uncomfortable amount for a team we're going in and playing against. They're probably the second team I've watched the most this year. But outside of that, they take guys and they do the opposite of what Ohio State does. They – mold them and build them into players and that's their success and this is going to be utah's most successful team for the next three years because they have a lot of experience and a lot of their key position groups are older players so utah is exactly what ohio state's lost to twice this year every single thing is almost identically the same uh, what did Oregon have? A pretty good defensive line, really good linebackers, physical defensive backs. So that's what Utah has. What did Michigan have? The same thing. Offensively, what did they do? They controlled the game with the clock. They made big plays when they needed to. And that's exactly what Utah does. So, like you said, um, 97% of Iowa State teams probably beat this Utah team. This year, we're going to find a lot about what this team, the resolve of this team, because – It'll be embarrassing if they get ran off the field twice the same exact way and for a third time in one season. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that that is what it is. Like, um, I, I see this game going so many ways, and it really just depends on what Ohio State shows up. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful to Utah because I do think they are a good team, but I don't think that, you know, I don't know if Ohio State loses this game, if I'm going to leave this game and think that it's because of something Utah did. Um, 
because there's such a, I mean, just being honest, there's such a talent gap. And, and a lot of times that does matter. Um, I'm very excited for this game for a lot of reasons, though, like regardless of the final score and like that kind of stuff, because um, they, like just like watching Utah play is fun. Like, like at the end of the day, like if you're trying to find a reason to watch this game, watching them play is fun. Like, it, like it is. Like watching, like the hustle, um, the discipline, like the way they run to the ball. The you know, there's a lot of. Um, they, I don't they know why this matters. The right way. Yeah, like they really do. Like there's a lot of um, Pacific Islanders on the team, and like that doesn't really matter for anything. But I, I, the reason why I bring that up is because in my experience, a lot of the Pacific Islanders that we see across college football, all, they're very talented, they're very strong, and they all play the game the right way. Like yeah, I, tons I, of passion. You know, they, yeah, and every time you hear or talk to one of them, every time one of them gets semi-famous, you just find out like how good of a dude. Like, just think like their team is full of Haskell Garretts, right? Like, like that's that's what it is. Like Haskell Garrett won the Polynesian Player of the Award. Shout out a year Player of the Year Award. Shout out to him. But um, their team is just full of guys like that who put their head down, who work, um, who who are who play football for the right reasons, who um, aren't about you know. If you're, I hate to say this, but if you're a football purist, you will love Utah. Like, if you're one of those, like, I hate everything about NIL and that kind of stuff. And this is not to say that their players don't benefit from it, but I'm just saying, like, they were going to be the same team with or without NIL is the point that I'm getting. Yeah, without um, so, and Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to watch them play for sure. Yeah, and they've got a lot of players that Ohio State fans – like should uh, no like Tavion Thomas or running backs from Dayton. He was recruited by Ohio state ended up not being a take by Ohio state. So he's got some ill will towards the Buckeyes. Uh, Clark Phillips, the third came down to the final day in his recruitment. Kyle Whittingham and his crew do a last ditch effort and convince Clark Phillips that Utah's a place for him because he's going to start immediately. You know, a bad Ohio State could have probably used Clark Phillips at some point in the last two years. I mean, first of all, if he was here, he would have been a starter. Yeah, it'd be Denzel Burke and Clark Phillips. Clark Phillips. And that's, yeah. that's just what it is. And they, they have a very talented – their two best players on their defensive line are young, which is new for Utah. But that's the type of recruiting they've started to do in the Pac-12 in the last five years. And that's – their identity and culture shift has been this point. And that's why this game's their Super Bowl because this is their – Destination. This is their final point in showing everyone that they belong at the Power 5 level, beating a blue blood like Ohio State with some of that same blue blood strategy, recruiting, developing, getting four-star recruits, getting some fringe five-star recruits. And it really is an opportunity for them to make a national statement at a relevant level. And it's not like there's days with Urban Meyer where they were a BCS buster. No, this is a Pac-12 football team ready to make a statement on a national level. And that's the difference. That's their that's their journey. This is the culmination of 15, 16 years of work trying to get to this point. Yeah, and, and the other thing with that is um, we already mentioned him, but you can't talk about him. You can't talk enough about him. Think of uh, – I don't remember the year, but think of um, Khalil Mack, Buffalo. Um that game against Ohio State, that's the type of impact that Devin Lloyd can have on this game. Like, I remember watching that game, like, who is this guy? And why is some kid from Buffalo single-handedly, like, destroying Ohio State? Ohio State? 
Like, and Devin Lloyd has that type of impact. The only difference is Utah's a better team and there's more around them. That Buffalo team really just had Khalil Mack. Um, so, but just think like if you're trying to figure out who Devin Lloyd is or what he can do and you haven't watched him, which you probably have because I'm sure a lot of people have been hate watching Oregon and they saw him in one of their yeah, games the that they two, played. Yeah. And he um, dominated both those games. Yeah, he could have a Khalil Mack type impact on this game. Yeah. So, so I think I kind of – so Utah is built with – to make up for a lot of their weaknesses, but I will say – Cam Rising, their quarterback, was beat out by Charlie Brewer. Then he took the job back, and he added a lot of dimensions to it. They use him. Uh, and I saw our friend Bill Landis. I think we mentioned Bill on every once an episode. We, we got to get Bill on this show once, like during the offseason. Like, I, I think that would be fun. But because we mentioned him once a show. He was talking, and he was showing some clips of the game. And check out my film previews, guys. There's going to be a good one coming out. Or it was it's out yesterday. But – uh, he was saying he's very JT Barrett like cam rising and you guys know what that means he's going to run for first downs in third and shorts he's going to make the timely throws when you need them and he's going to be annoyingly inaccurate at times and that's their weakness so if you could force him to beat you throwing the football so you know what that means we've talked about this a bunch of times and this is probably my biggest key to the game don't let Utah win first or second down offensively make them force him into third and longs force cam rising to beat you throwing because there's been times where he struggled with that this year so that's probably the one weakness i'd find on their offense uh their receivers are good i don't think they have any great receivers britain covey's like my age so uh that's something that's going to be talked about a lot on the show i think that that game we play sometimes take a shot every time the announcer says this britain covey's like 25 years old that'll be that game um Defensively, I, I really don't know if they have a distinct weakness on their defense. I, I think they do have a tendency to give up some points, but it's not because of lack of talent or lack of anything kind of going there. It's just sometimes the other team could be better than you. You know, when you're playing a guy like Chip Kelly, Chip Kelly's going to drop some scores. And that's just the way it is. I think Ryan Day is going to find some points, but I do think the one thing I've noticed watching some tape on Utah and watching games throughout the year is when there's key downs and in key situations, Utah usually wins those. And guess what Ohio state struggled with this year? Fourth downs, fourth and shorts, third and shorts, you know, fourth and fours inside the red zone. So those are going to be some things to watch, I think against this Utah team. Yeah. um, And honestly, like don't be surprised if this game is Penn state. Like where Ohio State yeah. wins, but they can't score in the red zone. The game's way too close, and they just kind of overpower you because they just have too many guys. And, and, and there's a large stretches where it seems like Utah played better and should have won the game, and they just couldn't. Like it's very possible that this is Penn State. Um, because it's like, again, you know, college football is about the haves and half nots. Like it really just is. And Ohio State's the haves, and even with some of the opt outs, they should still be able to overpower them. Like, I mean, they put four wide receivers out there. Clark Phillips can only cover one. You know, so. Um, but it's going to be a good game. I, I, I don't think it's a blowout. I do genuinely think it's. The Penn State game. I just think stylistically, um, like this, this is the exact type of team that's given Ohio State trouble these 
in every game they've had trouble with. Yeah, which is why it's Ohio State needs to win this game. Yeah, this is really, and I, I think before we get into our predictions, this is really an opportunity for Ohio State to prove that, hey, we weren't tough twice this year, but we showed up and we were ready to be tough this game. And I know I sounded like a like a weird old coach right there, but at the end of the day, that's what this game's going to be about. This game's going to be about who shows up in the hole, who fills the hole harder, who blocks harder, who rushes harder. This is all going to come out to whose effort is better from beginning to end of this game. You know, Ohio, uh, Ohio State's got more big playability. Everyone knows that. Travion Henderson, all the receivers, even if they're not Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson, are still big play capable. We've seen it with JSN. But that's what it's going to come down to. It's just effort. And any football game that's come down to max effort this year, Ohio State's lost. That they weren't the significantly better team, I should add. Yeah, and so um, unfortunately with this particular Ohio State team, all the things that you just said should be scary for fans, honestly. Um, it's just it's simple. Ohio State just got to show yeah, up. And as Ohio and State fans, don't take them lightly. Yeah, definitely don't. Definitely don't. Ohio State has to show up because Utah is going to show yeah, up. Yeah, because um, Oregon beat and us, this is gonna be- and Utah beat the shit out of them twice. Yeah, this is going to be a game, though, that's really going to test Ryan Day because it's going to, especially in the beginning, I don't think it's going to be easy to run against them. And Ryan Day could mess this game up if he doesn't stick to the run. Like, I like I, I already know what's going to happen. We're There's going to be a critical one. No, he's not going to do that. Nah. But, I mean, maybe he, he might. There's going to be a critical fourth and one where Ohio State lines up, runs inside zone, gets tackled for a three-yard loss because he won't do anything else. <laughs> like, I just, like, it's going to happen. Yeah. You heard it here first. And there's going to be a critical fourth and one or a third and one, but there's going to be a short yardage where Ohio State lines up in the pistol or in something and runs an inside zone and gets tackled for a three-yard loss because it's the only thing Ryan Day does. And they like Utah's going to know it's coming. Yeah, and I just think, like, you can't be predictable against Kyle Whittingham and Morgan Scaly. You just can't. Like, we talked about it after the Michigan game, and one of the things that was the key giveaway was the amount of times Ohio State lined up in a certain formational grouping and alignment, and they ran a specific play type. Uh, We talked about it. The pistol, they ran it. 25 times and they threw it once uh, out of shotgun that was more balanced. And then under center, guess what? Same thing. One and 12. So if Ohio state is very predictable in that regard, it's going to be a long day for the offense. Obviously they're talented enough to make some things happen, even with the predictability, but you know how much better your offense is. Like, look how good the offense has been with all those predictable tendencies. Like you, you throw an ounce of, unpredictability in there and it changes everything yeah a hundred percent so it's gonna be a fun game it's 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 almost like um it's almost like a storybook ending it's like the the final boss that you play yeah. is the mirror of all of your flaws like yeah that's, it's honestly storylines yeah if anyone's in the storylines that's the storyline ohio state's final game is a team that literally is, is built to expose expose all of their flaws yeah, you know, like in some of those like games, like I, I can't think of one, but where you lose like a fight in it and like you're like, holy crap, how did I lose? But it's part of the story. That was Oregon yeah, like and Michigan. And now it's time to win that fight. 
That was a great. Yeah. That was a great analogy. Honestly, I'm really proud of that one for you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that takes us into score predictions. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know about this one. I, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be on the higher scoring side. Uh, most of Utah games have been on the higher scoring side, like in that 57, 45 point total range, like in that range. So uh, I, I do think it's probably still going to be, I, I think there's going to be a lot of points scored. I, and I think it's probably going to be like a 40 to 28 games, kind of what I'm feeling. Uh, Ohio State winning. I, I, it's just if they cover or not. And I do think Ohio State wins because I'm not going to pick against them in the last game. I'm just not going to do it. Can't do it. Uh, I think it's going to be 40 to 28. That's my score prediction. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty close. I have um, 38 to 27. Uh, yeah, same. Yeah, definitely same ballpark there. Um, it's going to be a close. It's going to be a dogfight. That's all I got to say. Like, And we've seen it. Anytime Ohio State's walked into a bar fight this year, they've got punched in the face and they've stayed down. So um, I'm excited. I think this is going to be a huge opportunity for C.J. Stroud, as we said earlier. I think you'll see a huge opportunity for Travion Henderson. This could be his this could be his Heisman moment for next year. You know, not like – obviously not his Heisman moment for winning the award next year, but this could be the name that puts his name on the map enough that everyone's like – He's going to win the Heisman next year. That's kind of how I feel about Henderson going into this game. Uh, but, yeah, defensively, uh, it's going to be a challenge. But I, I think 40-28, you said 38-27, we're right in the ballpark. It's going to be a fun one. Uh, the Rose Bowl's happening. Uh, smell the roses, Pasadena, California. It's going to be beautiful. They had Lowry Steak, so all is right in the world. Uh, hopefully they've been – and maybe save that one for after the game, but hopefully get some of that nice Mexican food out there because uh, I – no, they aren't going to the place that I recommended. But if you're ever in Los Angeles, this is for you guys, all right, the audience here. It's it's in uh, San Pedro, California. It's this, uh, like people would call it a hole in the wall, but it's not. It's the best sandwich you'll ever have if you like hot sandwiches. It's called Busy Bee Market. It's my dad's favorite place. It's one of the best sandwiches I've ever eaten. It's truly incredible. And you always have to put the sauce on. It doesn't matter what meat you get. You have to put the sauce on because their sauce is extraordinary. It's in San Pedro. It's about 45 minutes out of Main LA with traffic. So it's only like 10 miles, but it's worth it. It's worth the trip every time. And you should go if you're out there traveling. That's my one recommendation. I don't have nothing to say about that, but I'm sure it's right. Actually, I have one thing. Hold the Hole in the wall places are always have the best, the best food. food. So, and just especially if it's of any sort of non-American culture, yeah. Like if you're Mexican, anything like that, hole in the wall places best. If you're eating Mexican food, find a truck. That's my other advice. Oh man, yeah, I need to find me a nice truck in Columbus. Yeah, that's that's my two advices. And you could go to one of those restaurants that says "Best Mexican in Los Angeles." They're all the same. Go to a truck. That's where the real Mexican food is. And my Angelinos and Californians will agree. There you have it. Now I just need to go to California and go with the list of recommendations. Uh, yes. And now it's time, Jordan. I'm I'm mad. Again, you know, I've been trying to stay, keep my calm throughout the show, but we have to talk about it. We have to talk about the other four teams that are playing. On uh, December 31st, the day this show comes out, uh, the college football playoff is still something we have to talk about. 
even though it pains us. The four teams, Alabama, Michigan, Georgia, Cincinnati, you guys, this sucks. This sucks. Like, probably the four worst teams that we could have had go outside of Ohio State. Like, if Ohio State had to miss the playoff, this was the worst possible group of teams it could have been, right? Like, could it be worse than Alabama, Georgia, Michigan, and Cincinnati? Mm. Clemson could be there. Yeah, I, Oklahoma could be there. I, but you kind of expect those two, like Cincinnati's yeah, like, the other Ohio school. There's a little brother, like they're there and not Ohio State. Like you can't be happy about that. I mean, there's there's nothing worse than Michigan being there. Yeah, so that's the worst. One. The other, <laughs> it doesn't matter what the other three teams are. If Michigan's I, there. If I had to power rank them, the one I'm least mad about is Alabama. I would say Georgia, but yeah. Well, yeah, you Same had Georgia as your champion at the start of the season, so like you, you might be yeah. able to cash some checks on that one soon. I don't know though. Yeah, I, maybe, I don't know. Maybe next year when sports betting's legal in Ohio. Yeah, uh, doesn't stop me. Uh, that's that's another that's, a, that's another story for another time. Um, I don't want to do it bad enough to figure out how to do it. <laughs> like I need, I just need it to be there. Like it's legal. I'll I have download to do an app this and I can do I it. put a little bit of money in it and then we start betting. Yeah, if yeah. I have to do anything else, it's too much. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. like my brother, my brother lives in Michigan with my dad, and he's got all the apps. He's got like Barstool Sportsbook. He's got like uh, FanDuel Sports app. He's got all the apps on it. And I'm like, oh yeah, you get to just do it from an app on your phone. Good for you, dude. <laughs> yeah. So they they say 2023, but come on now, they'll have it ready for the football season next year. <laughs> but yeah. Um, with that being said. We got to talk about the matchups, um, and we got to give our predictions for it. Uh, so, which one do you want to start with? Um, I guess we can just get Michigan out the way. Yeah, let's just get it out the way. All right, so Michigan's taking on Georgia, and I, I was thinking about this game earlier because I knew we were going to have to talk about it, and I was like, kind of questioning putting it in the show plan. I was like, you know what? I'm going to be a revoltist here. I'm just not going to talk about it. Hashtag revolutionary. But no, I decided I'm going to be a reasonable adult. I'm going to cover the sport. I'm paid to cover. I was thinking about this game. They're built very similar when you think about it. Cade McNamara, Stetson Bennett, almost twins on what they're capable of. Good running backs. Not really like like household you know, big time names, you know, they're older guys, you know, Zamir White's good. Hassan Haskins is really good. Blake Corm, they both use multiple running backs. They both have good receivers, no great receivers. You know, their offensive lines and their defensive lines are their staples. Like that's what they're known for. And then they both have good linebackers and solid defensive backs. Like this is a matchup that's going to be very boring because they do the same thing. Yeah, pretty much. Um, which is why I'm just going to put this out there. Um, Michigan has a chance to win, even though nobody else thinks they do. Well, no one like they, people do. It's just no one we like we we hang around thinks that because they don't want it. They're in denial. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Michigan does have a chance to win, but I need them to get blown out just for my sanity. Um, yeah, reasonably. Like I I saw what they did to us. And I thought Ohio State was better than Georgia. So, you know, if you kind of use that deductive reasoning there, that means Michigan might be better than Georgia. 
But, well, the only thing that that disagree that that doesn't work in that deductive reasoning is Ohio State and and Georgia's strengths are different. Yeah, and Georgia is unlikely to get bullied in the trenches yeah. and the run game. Yeah, in the trenches. That's the that is the the biggest difference. So this is this um, is my question for you. So. Obviously, Georgia's strengths in the interior defensive line with Jordan Davis and a couple of their bigger guys down there and their linebackers are awesome. Like they have really, really good linebackers. How do you think Michigan's run game? Because they use a lot of gap schemes and yes, they use some like zone schemes out of the shotgun. But there hasn't really been a team that has been able to truly establish a run against Georgia. Do you think Michigan has the personnel, has the ability to possibly do it? Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily the personnel. It's Josh Gaddis. Michigan is going to run on Georgia the same way they ran on. Well, um, Michigan is going to run on Georgia the same way they got big plays on Ohio State because they did just run on Ohio State. That's that's a lot. They're going to do a lot of motions. They're going to do a lot of sweeps, a lot of trick plays, a lot of fancy stuff, and get on the outside. I don't. If Michigan comes in this game trying to run up the middle, it's not going to work. But the thing is. Michigan's best runs for most of the time has been when they when they do 17 fakes and get the wide receiver the ball when they do a motion and get the wide receiver and another running back as a blocker and like that's where they're going to live and that is why I think they have a chance if Josh Gaddis brings the playbook that he had against Ohio State and Iowa they'll run against uh Georgia. It just it's just not gonna be a zone run up the middle for seven yards. It's gonna be some kind of cutesy play that gets that type of run. I, I think you're right though. Yeah, I was thinking about that because I, I what what I was thinking was Michigan's bread and butter with Hassan Haskins is off tackle runs. Um and with Blake Corum, it's getting outside the edge. Uh so with Kirby Smart being on the other side, this is this is another question I have. Uh, he's been referred to as like a perfectionist, and we saw as perfectionist what happened against Alabama, but that's just mostly because I think Nick Saban owns his mind. I don't think it's because Kirby Smart's a terrible football coach. I think it's because Nick Saban absolutely owns his mind. Uh, Kirby Smart's ability as a defensive coach, I think, is much greater than Josh Gaddis's ability as an offensive coach. And when Josh Gaddis was picking apart Kerry Combs's defense, it felt like every single drive was scripted for success. Do you think they're going to be able to show up with like that same type of scripted series every single time? No. Because they're going to get punched in the face. Can, I think they can do it enough. So so here's my thing, right? It, like, I think that – because he – like – um. Up until a certain point, Ohio State was still in that game, right? They were getting physically dominated, but, like, they were um, still scoring. And there was a couple of plays that broke Ohio State. And that's what Michigan is going to need to do against Georgia. They're going to need that weird play by J.J. where he just throws a dime and beats their corner. They need that for sure. They're going to need that seven-motion running play that gets 20, 30 yards and scores a touchdown. If they get that play and one more big play and then they just keep it close the rest of the time, that's how they win that game. They need their scripted they need their scripted drives, as you put it, to work. And then they just need to hold on. Because I don't think George is that good offensively. So if you can score 14 points against them regularly 
and then score 21 points on them with your trick plays and J.J. McCarthy and that kind of stuff on those very scripted jobs, that's 35 points. You can win the game. But if you can't get those 14 points regularly and you only get the 21 from the scripted plays, you still lose. So they're not going to be able to do that enough to bully Michigan, uh, to bully Georgia, but if they can do it enough to supplement just good football, right? If they can get a sack fumble that gives them the ball on the 10-yard line, like there is a way for them to win this game, but they're going to have to play absolutely perfect football. Um, Yeah. Which is why I'm not picking them, by the way. But I think they can win the game if if Josh Gaddis is in his bag. And if... I mean, the defense makes some timely plays and get some turnovers. Yeah. They're like, yeah, I think I'm with you with what you're saying. They have to play more on the perfect side than Georgia does. But I was thinking about this. Do you think Michigan's offense, would you take Michigan's offense or Georgia's offense? Uh, that's hard. I think I would take Michigan's offense because I think they have a better running game because they have a two-and-a-half-headed monster, and the half-head is Donovan Edwards whenever they decide to use him. And I I don't watch as many um, Georgia games, so if I'm wrong, don't crucify me. But I think Michigan's offense has more big playability. And just truthfully, I trust Cade more than I trust Stetson. That's why I was and trying to nothing, see what you were saying. And, and, and if nothing else, they also have the added. I just think Michigan has more. They have three running backs they can throw in. I trust Cade a little bit more. JJ can come in for a spark play. Like, I just think they have more to work with I, than Georgia does. Yeah, see, I think if it's Stetson Bennett versus Cade McNamara, I'm taking Michigan's offense every time. If JC yeah. Daniels is healthy – He's a much more talented quarterback than Stetson Bennett, but Stetson Bennett's a much but more steady quarterback. They already said Stetson's going to start yeah. in that JT may play. And that's kind of the JJ uh, Kate yeah. thing going again, where you've got a guy who can make every single throw imaginable, but sometimes he's a wild card. Uh, it's yeah. just interesting because I, I just think – I think Georgia's is a more talented football team, and if you look at on paper the recruiting, they're more talented than everybody in the country. So I think that's kind of what separates it for me because I do think they're almost identical teams in their philosophies. And that's why this game's going to be super boring, but it's the most interesting part of the storylines. Who's going to do this better? And I think, yeah. I think I'm going to lean Georgia. Partially biased, but I think it's going to be a really close, good football game. Like taking out like my hatred for Michigan, like I do think it's going to be a really interesting football game. Yeah, I agree. And that's the thing that I, I disagree with some people that I've seen. As much as I want them to get blown out, I don't think Michigan's capable of getting blown, blown out in this game. They control too much of the I, clock, and they do too many of those little things well to get blown out. This is going to be the perfect game for Jim Harbaugh to be Jim Harbaugh. And what I mean by that is have a great drive and then settle for field goals. Yeah. And those field goals are the reasons that they lost. <laughs> and Georgia does the same thing, though. Yeah. <laughs> that's the <laughs> funny mean, part. They're the same team and just one has more talent. And yeah, and that's interesting. So let's uh I, I'm not giving score predictions. I'm taking Georgia to win by like three touchdowns or not three touchdowns, three points. Yeah, I would say something between um three and seven. But yeah. less than ten. Yeah, I don't think it's gonna be a two score game at all. So uh unless it's nine. It might be nine. But that would just be uh, – that's that's irrelevant. Uh, Alabama versus Cincinnati. This game's interesting. You know, I think 
like if you really just go based on names, everyone's like Alabama's going to kick the shit out of Cincinnati. Excuse my excuse my French. Pardon my French. Um, it, Cincinnati's got a really like when we talk about identity, Luke Fickle's identity and DNA is put through this team, and everyone knows Luke Fickle was a high school wrestler. Everyone knows Luke Fickle was a nose tackle, and if you guys have ever played football, nose tackles do all the dirty work for a defense. No glory, anything. It's all dirty work. And that's kind of Cincinnati football. It's all dirty work. It's timely big plays. Desmond Ritter doesn't turn the ball over. He's good with his legs. And who are the types of quarterbacks who have beaten Alabama historically? The Bo Wallaces, the Steven Garcias, these guys. And Johnny Manziel is kind of an outlier, but – Guys who can run, who don't turn the ball over, and make big plays sometimes. Yeah. I, I'm convincing myself <laughs> into this game being closer than I think it will be, but I, I just want to kind of get your thoughts initially on Cincinnati's chances because casuals don't think I they're think, I think that Cincinnati has a good chance to keep this game close. I think it's hard to outcoach Saban, which is why they'll lose. But the one thing, like the one thing that Cincinnati is probably, you know, I say probably because he's still a good player and can get loose. But the one thing I think Cincinnati is probably not going to do that everyone else did is just let Jamison Winston, uh, Jamison Williams, run free for no just no reason. Like they're probably going to attach Kobe Bryant on him. Um, they will, and without John Metchie playing, they'll probably have two guys on him. And I just don't see the, like, why is he so wide open place? Like, if he gets open, it's going to be because he earned it, not because, like, what Georgia did and what a couple other teams did where they were like, oh, we'll let him catch the ball, and then we'll just tackle him. No, you're not. <laughs> you're not. Like, there was so many – um was it Georgia – I think it was Georgia, but it was definitely the team before that, too, where it was just so many plays where it was just like they let him catch it at seven. And they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to tackle him. We can do it. We'll rally to the ball. And then he erased the angles of three different players and ran for 50 yards. So I, I, I do believe that Cincinnati is going to not do that which is going to help them because um, Alabama has absolutely no offense without Jamison Williams. Like, they don't. Anyone who's watched them play, this is a vulnerable Alabama team, and Ohio State would have beat them if Ohio State could have gotten, you know, um, could have gotten uh, their shit together. Excuse my French. So, um, the two yeah, teams so. that have played Alabama extremely tough down this stretch, uh, Auburn, good corners, um, LSU, very good corners with Stingley and Elias Ricks. Uh, they were able to combat Jamison Williams. And if you're not able to establish a run game, which Alabama has really struggled to this year, it means Bryce Young has to do super things and throw to Slade Bolden. And everyone knows my opinion on Slade Bolden. I talk so much trash on him because it really just makes my argument for Jamison Williams leaving to be their number one that much better. But overall, Cincinnati has Kobe White. And Sauce Gardner. And if you're a corner and your nickname is Sauce, that's all I need to know. Is it Kobe White or Kobe Bryant? Kobe Bryant. Did I say White? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Kobe Bryant. Um, Kobe Bryant and Sauce Gardner. And like I said, if your name's Sauce and you're a corner, uh, that's dangerous. Come on now. <laughs> and they don't have to account for John Mechie now. So one of those receivers is done. Like, whoever's filling in for John Mechie, he's 
wiped off the screen. Because yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's going to go against the best, maybe the best corner he's played against all season. And so he's not getting off. Now you're going to have the ability to shade safeties over to help on Jamison Williams. And like you said, I don't know how many people are just going to give up inside leverage to Jamison Williams and let him catch a freaking slant route. And then think that they can tackle him. Because he's way faster <laughs> than everybody. And you know, that's why he fit perfect in this Alabama offense. Like, he does everything that Devontae Smith did. He does everything that these guys did well. And he just well, filled he, that he void. Doesn't, he doesn't do everything that Devontae Smith did. Yeah, I mean, Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith is a significantly better route runner. Yeah. I still contend that Jameson Williams can run three routes. Yeah, he runs them really well, though. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I just, I'm just saying when, when you compare to Devontae Smith, who is an exceptional route runner, I just yeah. want to take a step who, back who from that. The guy, oh yeah, no, Henry Ruggs. That's who I was more thinking of. Yeah, who hasn't had a good pro career because yeah. he only runs three routes. Yeah, that's who I was more thinking of. Those fast, those guys, the wiry guys. I just think it was yeah. Williams, and I think that's where I kind of get stuck with Cincinnati and convincing myself that hey, this could be a closer game because they have the talented think, corners to take out the only thing that Alabama does well. This is okay. This is a stupid question. Football is sixty minutes. This is a close game for forty-one minutes, and then Alabama boat races them. This is a close yeah. game until like That's- middle of the third quarter, and then uh, Will Anderson is going to have like two sacks in the same drive. Like they're going to have an interception or something, and then it's just going to like. Bam is going to ban him. Yeah, that's yeah, just what's going to happen. It's the game that always happens. When you're the underdog, you have to play perfect, and you make one mistake and the game's over. And Will Anderson is going to force that mistake. Did you hear? He's going to force a bad pass. Yes, I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> They're an underdog? Yeah. Okay. Did you hear that? And then, did you hear the guy today who's like, what are you guys doing for fun? Like, in Because uh, they're at the Orange Bowl, I think. Uh, so they're in Florida, and they're like, yeah, uh, this one guy's like, yeah, we're watching film. We're going, and we're doing recovery in the pool, and we're doing – he sounded like a saving clone, all right? And I was like, holy crap, like, this is why they win so much. They're, they're, they are the NFL. And like, like, Ohio State is an NFL factory, as in they produce players for the NFL. Alabama is an NFL team. Like, there's a difference. It may be a minor difference, but there's a difference. They are an NFL team. Like, they, when the Alabama players go to the league, they aren't surprised by what the league has done because they've been doing that yeah. forever. Like, it's, it's one of those things where I listen to that guy speak, and I was like, you know, this is why they're here every year. There's just so much business behind everything they do, everything they do. And the second line when he was asked about, uh, uh, it was like that's some trip to Florida. He's like, "Yeah, you know, winning's really fun." And I was like, "Holy yeah. shit! This guy <laughs> is this guy just this guy showed everything that Alabama football was and is and will be as long as Nick Saban's there." In a two-minute press conference answer. Yeah, they're an NFL team. Yeah, it's uh, but like not just any NFL team. They're good. They're the Patriots. Yeah, they're the same. It doesn't matter who's there. It doesn't matter who's playing quarterback, who's playing running back, who's playing on the offensive line. They show up every year, and they are there in the end because of what Nick Saban is capable of doing. Yeah, and objectively, this is one of the worst Alabama teams in recent memory, and they're still probably going to win the national championship. And then next year's team is going to be 
Ooh, I'm not going to say they're going to be really good because they're not going to have Jameson Williams. I don't know who they're going to have on offense. Yeah, I don't know who they're going to have on receiver. I don't know who's going <laughs> to fill the void that Will Anderson is. Uh, I don't think he's draft is eligible. Is he not? That's even – oh, that no, pisses me off, he's, actually. He's, he's not draft eligible. Is he a true sophomore? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, he's a true sophomore. Are you serious? He's not, yeah, he's not draft eligible. That's on me, guys. <laughs> I, w- I mean, I guess Will Anderson Jr., that might have been where I got confused. I, I know that he's not draft eligible because it breaks my heart every time I think about it. Like, every That's time horrible, I hear someone man. say – well, Anderson may be the number one pick in 2023. Like a part of me, a part of my soul dies. Like I honestly, like if I had a Heisman vote, he probably would have got my Heisman. He would have been the number one vote I had. Yeah, I mean, like he, I, I, I need to be clear when I talk I about Michigan because I'm an Ohio State fan and people think I'm hating. I hate how this is the end of the show. Like three times better than. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson's. It just was. He had more sacks, more tackles for losses, more yeah. everything. Like he's, he just had a crazy season, and he's a sophomore. Yeah, so, I. Um, that's depressing. I'm so mad. This is how the show's ending. Like honestly, uh, score predictions for this game. I guess let's try to flip it back to Cincinnati. Uh, I think Desmond Ritter has a decent game, but I think you're right. I think there's some big plays that aren't his fault, but, like, he gets sacked. He kind of runs short to, like, on a second and ten and ends up in a third and nine, and Alabama's just able to take advantage of that, force him into punting. Um, I do think Luke Fickle's done a great job of not trying to force his own hand. Like, you know, they get a fourth and three at, like, the 45-yard line. You can't do that with Jameson Williams because they're going to come and take a shot immediately after. Uh, but it's one of those things. I think you laid it out perfectly. This game's going to be very close until there's seven minutes left in the third quarter. Jameson Williams is going to catch one slant, take it 83 yards to the house, or he's going to return a kick or something. Oh yeah, yep. That's 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 exactly how it's going to break over. Will Anderson sack fumble, short field, and then Jameson Williams takes it. He he gets semi locked down. He has like ninety yards on like three catches or something crazy, no touchdowns, and then they kick to him and he takes it to the house. Yeah, that's how it's going to go. And that's game. Right. <laughs> like that game. Yeah, I think Bama wins this game by like ten points. I haven't, yeah, I haven't like 17, but again, like it's like they score like 21 points in like three minutes of game time. Yeah, honestly, I could see Cincinnati leading up to that point and everyone being like, ooh, here we go. It's happening. It's happening just like they did in the Auburn game. Guess what? It's not over yet. Bryce Young's still yeah. supremely talented. They still have Jamison Williams. Their running backs aren't as good as they have been, but they're not awful. And yeah. it just blows it wide open, and <laughs> Alabama wins. And we've got in our predictions an Alabama Georgia championship, which I think is the lesser of the two evils for me. Yeah, there's none. Like, Michigan being there just unacceptable. Yeah, unacceptable. If Cincinnati makes it away from a national championship, I just can't do it. Honestly, I would love a Georgia Cincinnati rematch. I just don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, that would be very fun. But I don't think it's happening. Ohio State's winning the Rose Bowl. Michigan's not winning a national championship. That's what I want to close this show on. And Jim Harbaugh is the next coach of the Chicago Bears. Yeah, Jim Harbaugh will be a coach in the NFL by the end of the year. I actually genuinely believe that's going to happen. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I, like, I genuinely believe that he's going to go And then we'll be right. Well. Josh Gaddis will get a head coaching job. Oh, Josh Gaddis, head coach of Michigan. I don't think he's ready for that. Yeah, it doesn't have that, to be. Like, do it so we can yeah. beat them for the next yeah. seven years until he gets fired. <laughs> we're kind of in the show like PTI where we're still talking. But if I was Michigan, I'd hire Mike McDonald as the head coach. 
Before Josh Gaddis, yeah, definitely. And that's kind of where I that's where I'm ending it. Uh, anything? Any final thoughts before we head out, Jordan? Uh, no, just I, if you if you listen if you actually listen to this before the games happen because it's on Friday. Shout out to you, we appreciate it. Uh, have a good holiday. Uh, be safe, all that good stuff. Uh, Brock Purdy just got a first down, fumbled, and then lost the first down on fourth and two. So that game's over. Um, and yeah, just um, go Bucks and enjoy the last good week of football. Yeah, that's my final thought. Just enjoy these last games down the home stretch and just enjoy college football because I know in three months when I see you guys complaining on here, I'm going to remind you that you guys did, you took bowl season for granted. Too many games is what I heard. I was not one of them. Yeah. That's all I know. Football junkies. That's why you guys come to buck off, and that's why we'll leave you here. Where can we find you on social media, Jordan? You can find me on Twitter at JordanW330. Um, I tweet a lot. If you want to, if you're bored and want to argue about something, just just you know, tweet at me. We can we can have a friendly friendly argument. No insults. We're adults here. We can have a friendly argument about something. Uh, and then yeah, you guys can find me at Chris Rennie CFB, and then you can find the show page at Bug Off Pod. Uh, subscribe, rate, give me and Jordan a shout out in the ratings on Apple Podcasts. It makes us feel good about ourselves. And I know our editors that never look at ratings, but when they're good ones, you should look at them. And that's it for me. Appreciate you listening. Catch you next time. Go Bugs.